today we're going to go to the end of Colossians chapter 1. And uh, I want to ask you this question. Uh, where does your hope come from? Where does your hope come from? You know, so many of the things that we have been used to as the basis of our life have proved pretty flaky recently, haven't they? Whether that's finances or whether it's health, whether it's our freedom to travel, whether it's sport, entertainment, uh, food, politics, or even really sadly, as we've witnessed the last week, even law and order in some places, that those things haven't provided the firm foundation that we've uh, been hoping for. And then maybe as we look to the rest of 2020, as we look into 2021, um, it feels like there's more questions than there are answers. There's questions, as I was speaking this week to the school district, there's questions on every level of our society about what's coming next. And so how do we find hope in the middle of that? Well, the Apostle Paul writes from a place of absolute uncertainty. He writes being on death row in prison. And he writes to a church, a Gentile church, thousands of miles away, who were also facing huge ups and downs. But what he does is he gives the most astonishing and brilliant seven-word summary, the most impactful thing I have seen of the Christian faith. It's a summary which is just so beautiful. It's so uh, brilliant. And uh, whether you are a Christian today, today or whether you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I promise you that if you were to take these seven words that Paul uses and embed them in the heart of your life, they couldn't help but change absolutely everything about who you are and about where you find hope. So we're going to have our, our reading now from Colossians chapter 1, 24 to 29. And as, uh, as the reading's going through um, for Leah, I really want to encourage you uh, to listen out for those seven words, see if you can spot them. Good morning, everybody. Today's reading is from Colossians 1, 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them... God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Christ in you, the hope of of glory. Let me just say that again, just so we let that fully sink in what Paul has to say. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says in verse 27, this is the glorious riches of the mystery of the Christian faith, that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And in fact, every bit of the sentence that Paul uses tells us something more about what it means to have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so it's a little bit of an unorthodox way of preaching, um, but I'm going to take us through bit by bit through that phrase that Paul uses to show us the content and the delivery of how the Christian faith works. So Paul starts like this, Christ. Now the word Christ is Christos in the Greek or it's Messiah in the Hebrew. Uh, It's a word which is not the name of Jesus. It's not like Bob or John or Paul or something like that, but it is the title, you know, the title of who Jesus was. The thousands of years before Jesus came to earth, it was prophesied that one day God would return to 
fix the broken relationship between humans and himself, that he would help reunite God's people on earth towards an eternal reality where there'd be no more pain and suffering in the world. When Jesus came to earth, he came as the one, the chosen one, if you like a bit of Star Wars speak, he would come and fix places of brokenness in our spiritual lives. And so when Jesus was on earth in Matthew's gospel, he says to his first followers, who is it that you think that I am? And in Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ the son of the living God. When the demons see Jesus, they recognize that he is the chosen one. And then when Jesus is on trial at the end of his life, the very thing that Jesus becomes on trial for, he say, they say to him, tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Now the Jews knew that this is who they were expecting. Many of them were expecting this Messiah-like figure to come. They were hoping they were going to get rid of the Romans in occupation. There was going to be a new political reality in and around the state of Israel. But Jesus came in a totally different way to the one they were expecting. And he came to reunite just not just the Israelites, not just the Jewish people, but he came to reunite the whole world to see a forgiveness of the brokenness, of the sins, of the darkness and the evil and the rebellion that had gone on and to see an eternal reality of a relationship between God and human beings. And I, I, it begs this question. And I've got a lot of questions to ask you this morning, just to get you thinking. My first question is this, who is Jesus Christ to you? Who is Jesus Christ to you? Is he some nice moral teacher? Some maybe had some good things to say about how to behave. Maybe he was the figurehead of a global religion. Well, Paul tells us that Jesus Christ is God himself who came to earth to save us by dying on a cross and rising again so that our past, our brokenness, the sentence of failure that we often live with can be forgiven. The word Christ means that we can have a different story. And I don't know about you, but in this COVID-19 time, I realize that I so need God's help. You know, if COVID-19 has taught me something, it's taught me and reminded me that I am a little bit broken most days, if not every day. John Tyson talked last week about be whole. What are you like when you're bored? What are you like when you're hungry? What are you like when you're angry? What are you like when you're lonely and you're tired? Which is like the whole COVID-19 story, right? All of those things all at once, all of the time. So I've realized I'm a little bit broken. And as I look out on the news, as we've seen the events of the last week, we realize that our world is still got that sense of sin, the sense of evil, the sense of brokenness in it. Christ means that our past, our screw-ups, that all the mess that we see around us and in us doesn't have to define who we are that instead we get a new reality. And so I ask you again, who is? Who's Jesus Christ to you? But Paul then goes on and he doesn't just talk about a Christ who is a historical reality. He actually talks about Paul, about Jesus, who is Christ in you. Like it's one thing, isn't it, to think about like a, a Jesus who's maybe out there somewhere a little bit beyond where the SpaceX rocket went to that one day might come back to earth to judge the earth and those kind of things. But it's a totally different thing to think about a Christ who actually lives in us as his followers. Now I know at first when you think about that, that sounds a bit like an alien movie and it maybe isn't the most attractive thing that you've ever heard of. But to think about this for a minute, what does it mean to have the power of the one who created the whole universe living inside of you. you know, Paul means that when we become a Christian, God actually comes to live in us by his power, by his presence as a guide, as a teacher, 
as a counselor. Paul speaks about the indwelling of Christ Jesus, which he uses like an interchangeable thing with the Holy Spirit, and he uses it 216 times. That's why we celebrate Pentecost on this day in the church's calendar, because we recognize the power and the importance of God's power at work in us as the followers of Christ. You know, when I was, when I was a kid, I just hated church. I know I talk about this all the time at Vintage. I don't know why I tell you that I hated church, but I just hated church because I thought it was so boring. I thought it was just about rules. I thought it was about religious observation. But then I came to find out later in life that following Jesus is actually about having a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. And so when I think about my reality, actually my, my uh, possibilities, my future isn't determined by whether or not I'm big enough or strong enough or beautiful enough or educated enough or wealthy enough. Actually my future, my life is only determined by the power of the one who flung stars into space. Have you ever thought about that? Isn't that an incredible reality? That's why, you know, Laura and I could have, have the bravery to go to somewhere like LA because it certainly wasn't that we were big and brave enough and beautiful enough and strong enough or any of those things to plant a church here, but it's because we knew the power of God's voice whispering into our beings that future can be limitless. Our presence don't have to be defined by our limitations if it's God, the creator of the universe who lives in us. God wants to be a present reality in your life. Is he? Is he a present reality in your life? Does God's voice guide your path? Do his values determine your choices? In those first days of COVID-19, a few times I took us to Psalm 23. This is probably my favorite of all the Psalms. And the reason I love it so much is because it talks about the whole ups and downs of the life of, of the life that we live and how God is with us. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Like David was in the Old Testament of the Bible. He didn't fully understand the idea of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit being with us and in us and Jesus' presence every day of his life. But yet he still wants to say this. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you, God, are with me. With me, you are so close that your rod and your staff they comfort me. You know, that is a huge reason for hope right now in our world that God is with us. There's been all these different metaphors, haven't there, for what COVID 19 is. Um, I heard, is this COVID 19? Is this a blizzard? Is this winter? Uh, is this actually an ice age? And all I know, and I don't know a lot, is that none of those things are very good whatsoever, unless you are a skier or a snowman or something like that. But I heard somebody speak the other week about the idea that right now we are in a place of wilderness. Um, last year, we got a few chances to get out of LA. And I discovered that the way to survive LA is to get out of LA regularly. And so a few times last year, we managed to get out of LA. And we drove down the 210 freeway. We hit a left up through the mountain pass. And like 45 minutes out of Pasadena, you find yourself in desert wide open, hundreds and thousands of miles of expansive open wilderness. Like almost nothing as far as the eye can see except for mountains and sand and, and wild living. 
And out there, it's, it's beautiful, right? It's amazing. There's such a sense of stillness and calm, but at the same time, it's rugged, right? It's challenging. It's uncomfortable. It's hard. It takes a lot of skill to navigate in that part of the world, especially if you get off the roads. There is a reason why basically only gamblers and the super hardcore live out in the places of desert, because out there, like so many of the things that we're used to that keep us comfortable, that keep us safe, are stripped away, unless that is you've got one of those massive crazy RVs, and in which case, please could I borrow it next time that I have to go out in the desert because that would definitely help. But you know, out there in the desert, out in there in the wilderness, it, the, the terrain is varied. It's unpredictable. It's changing. It's unfamiliar. There's isolation. It's uncomfortable. So much of the padding around life that keeps us going is out there. And it strikes me that like we're in that place right now, aren't we? So much of the things that we're used to, to keep us padded, except for the stuff around my middle, which is definitely growing. There's that kind of padding through COVID-19. I don't know about you. But so much of the comfort is gone right now. And instead, if you look out on the world and you're trying to find a place of hope, man, it must be really hard right now if you don't have faith. But here's the thing. Here's the promise of the Bible. God is an expert guide in the wilderness. God is an expert guide in the place of wilderness. There's so much of the work of transformation, preparation, encounter, leadership that we read of in the Bible comes from an in place of wilderness. If you think about the Israelites, 40 years that they travel in the wilderness before they got to the promised land. Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness waiting to start his earthly ministry. You know, David spent so much of his life on the run. Paul spent so much of his life in prison. They were places of wilderness, but yet they were places of great encounter with God. They were places of real hope. You know, and right now I believe that God is at work in wilderness, that God is working in his church. He's working in his, play, in his people to build hope, to build perseverance, to build faith in our lives. In fact, he can do things right now that he can't normally do because normally we're so busy running around crazily, filling our lives with comfort and safety and all of those kind of things that God has our attention, not that he caused coronavirus, but he is working in it. But it's challenging, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but I don't like wilderness very much. Like in England, we don't really have desert. It just rains too much and it's too small. There's nowhere to go. Um, but I don't really like it because, you know, I, I don't like wilderness. I like promised land. You know, I don't, I don't want wilderness. I want blessing. I don't want wilderness. I want air conditioning. I don't like wilderness. You know, I want Starbucks or Copa Vida. You know, that's my idea of what life is supposed to look like. But yet... Paul says that hope comes from knowing Jesus, whatever the situation of life. You know, hope is to experience the benefits of being reconciled with God right now through our union with Jesus Christ. It's to hope in the one who is already glorified, is to have hope of a transformed today and not just tomorrow. You know, if all right now we want to do is hope that life is going to go back to how it was six months ago, then the truth is, I think we're going to be disappointed for a long time to come yet. But if we're prepared to hope in one who is at work now, then it gives us a different foundation. You know, if you know a little bit about church history, you know that like 500 years ago, we had this reformation in Europe. People like Martin Luther, Zwingli, John Calvin, they turned up in Europe. They saw a huge reformation of the church back to these first principles that Jesus Christ is Lord, that faith is a gift, that we don't have to earn it, that it's something that God did for us through the cross. And then a beautiful thing happened through like 1500 to like 1700 in Europe. So a massive transformation of the church. But by about 1700 in, in Europe, um, like incredible scientific breakthrough, 
big technological advances led the church into a place where it stopped asking the question largely, is Jesus returning one day? Is hope found in him? And instead, the church and society started to ask the question more like, oh, can we just fix this for ourselves? Can we just make heaven our reality, as the great old song goes, by just being smart enough or having enough technology? If we can just eradicate violence and poverty and all those kind of things, then, then everything will be okay and we don't even need God to really turn up because we'll be able to do it all on our own. And between 1700 and 1900 in Europe, that seemed like a kind of plausible idea. Of course, until 1900s hit and then war broke out. The world wars hit and decimated civilization across the world. And when people like Karl Barth wrote in about 1950, what they had to remind us is to remind us that the world isn't actually on an upward trajectory just towards health and wealth and happiness. We're not gonna get there on their own. We need God's power at work in our lives. We need the reality of Christ to bring hope into our story. And you know, here in the West, like actually for the last 50 years, we've had a pretty good journey on the whole. You know, we've had wars, we have had ups and downs, but on the whole, we've probably had a lot more peace and a lot more health and a lot more wealth than is normal. But I don't know if you've spotted, but in the last few months, the whole of civilization across the world has been undone by a sick bat that may or may not have been in a fish market in China. That is how fragile life is. But yet, God is an expert giver of hope and guidance in the wilderness. That's why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It is God's life which determines our today. And so I wonder, and my next question for you is this, is are you hopeful for today? Are you hopeful But then Paul goes on and he says this, he says, Christ is in you the hope of glory. That actually the ultimate reality that Paul wants to speak about is not just the fact that our past are forgiven. It's not just that God is with us today so that we can face it in a good way, but it's actually that we are heading towards an eternal future with Christ in glory, which we call heaven. He says in verse 28, he speaks about the future coming of Christ, about how we need to be people who are preparing and becoming mature towards when Christ returns again. You know, the truth is the world is bumpy out there. The world was bumpy out there 100 years ago. The world was bumpy out there 2,000 years ago. The world will probably be bumpy out there in 2021, maybe even in the future. And I'm not just being like a negative um, person from England who doesn't know how to be positive like, like Californians are. But I'm just stating a reality that the world is bumpy, but Christ is coming. Christ will return. And when he returns, his promise to us that those who know and love him will get to reign with him forever, for eternity, in glory. The ultimate hope that we have is that our futures, our eternal futures are secure. Paul says in Colossians 3, 4, he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You know, like whatever happens on earth, whatever tomorrow's news is going to bring, we can be people of certain hope. You know, we mustn't forget that. Like we mustn't go back to thinking that we just need to fix everything on earth and everything will be right. Of course, we work for an end to violence. Of course, we work for God's kingdom to come right now. But we know that ultimately it is a destiny that we'll only see fully when we get to heaven. That's why Paul says ridiculously, I rejoice in suffering because as I rejoice in suffering, I am working towards people knowing the reality of hope and eternal hope that lasts. So let me ask you this final question. Do you know where you're going when you die? I know that's a morbid question. I know that's a hard question. I know that's a politically incorrect question to ask you, but do you know? 
Like, do you know what your eternal destiny looks like? For me, knowing that my past are forgiven, knowing that I have God's power living in me, which makes endless possibilities, knowing that my future is assured in Christ means that when I got up this morning and I watched the news of horror and violence, when I look at the fact that we don't know what's coming down the line tomorrow, we don't know whether our schools are going to be able to meet, we don't know exactly what church life is going to look like, we don't know when our shops are going to reopen, we don't know what the economy is going to do. When I look at those things, I don't have to be without hope. In fact, I can be full of hope because I am trusting not in my own goodness, not in my own ability to fix situations, but I'm trusting in the one who made heaven and earth. And that is my prayer. That's my prayer for you, is that you would know that for yourself. And not just on an academic level, but your life would center around these words, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, which is the very hope of glory. And let me just say this by a final point before I pray and we take communion. But it's this, is that containing these seven words is not just the good news of Jesus, which is totally what I've just gone through, but it's also the very means by which we get to know the good news of Jesus. How do people experience the hope of glory? Is it through like dreams? Is it through like Damascus Road experiences? Is it through great big conferences? Or is it the, well, actually, what does Paul say? Paul says that people know the hope of glory. Why? Because Christ is in you. Christ in you is the very way that people get to know the reality of Jesus Christ. You know, I don't know who it was who told you about faith. I don't know if it was a friend. I don't know if it was a family member. I don't know if it was a church leader. I don't know if it was someone at a great big conference or on TV or what it was. For me, it was a pretty good mixture of all of those different things. But what I do know in my life is that as I saw the good news of Jesus living in other people, when I saw the reality of peace, when I saw the reality of hope, I wanted it for myself. It wasn't just because somebody presented the gospel in black and white, but it was because I saw in other people the hope of Jesus Christ outworked on Monday mornings and outworked in the shops and outworked in my school and outworked in my family. And because I saw it, that was the hope of glory. Paul says in verse 29 that he strenuously contends with all energy because Christ so powerfully works in me. And that is my prayer for you. You know, people right now are looking for hope. They're angry, they're cross because so much is broken out there. But yet in Christ, we have a source of hope. And so I wonder like for your neighbors, for your friends, for your work colleagues, for the people that you live with, How is it that they might see Christ in you, the hope of glory? I believe that having Christ living in us changes everything about everything about everything. And I believe that the way that other people primarily will get to see the hope of glory is through us living into that reality for ourselves. And so I want to pray for us that we would know that story. We would know that reality. We would know hope even in dark times. So let's pray together.